Chances are you might be listening to this program from your kitchen today, preparing for what many of us is one of the best meals of the year. Taking out the good china, the fancy tablecloth, putting a lot of time and effort into making the very best food we can. Well, our first guest spent the last seven and a half years focused on what makes food stand out, what makes a recipe or a restaurant remarkable. Nick Kendallsberger came to the Chicago Tribune as a food and dining reporter in 2016. In 2021, he and Louisa Chu were named the Tribune's new food critics, replacing revered critic Phil Vettel, who held the job for 31 years. Well, Nick recently announced he was leaving the job. Last Friday was his last day at the Tribune, and he's here to dish on Chicago's dining scene. Welcome back to Reset, Nick. Thank you so much. Was this the ultimate dream job? This just happened, and I know this sounds crazy, but I never set out to be the dining critic for the Chicago Tribune. It just sort of lined up. I got really interested in food and writing, and then just one thing led to another, and I just kept moving along. So I know that's not the answer most people want, but when I was in high school, I didn't even know that this job existed. Um, I grew up in a town of about 2,000 people in southern Indiana, We did not have restaurants like this around. (laughs) Um, I think there was a Taco Bell and a gas station. That was the big one. And I worked at a place called Chicago Pizza, which didn't serve deep dish, which is pretty hilarious. But yeah, (laughs) that was that was it in our little town. How did you become a food expert then? I moved to New York after college, and it was this thing of of being in a a really small college town and then all of a sudden being in a huge city, and I was just blown away by all there was in the city. And I actually got to do – and I I spent some time abroad in London for like six months, and that was another thing of like – I just couldn't believe how many people there were and how – many different kinds of food there were, and I wanted to learn all about it as much as I could. And so I spent free time in New York just going to every borough and trying pizza in every single borough. And then, you know, when I moved to Chicago, this sort of the same thing. I was just stunned at how many different people were here and how many people wanted to cook the food that they loved and share that with people. And that's just never stopped. You really brought that sensibility to your writing because a lot of times restaurant reviews may focus on the more high-end type of dining. But you highlighted such a range of affordable options. Yeah, I, I, it wasn't necessarily just that it was affordable. I was just I was really interested in effort and the amount of like <laughs> just sheer willpower that would go into something. And I found that at all price ranges. You know, if you go down and try, you know, Southside Barbecue, like the people are there every day and they're working. And when you go to a chain restaurant, you know, (laughs) in River North and the owner's not there, like those are things that I can see. Like the people that put effort and love into their food, that's the most important thing. And sure, there are, are really expensive restaurants that cost $400 a person where that happens. But there's also, you know, hot dog stands where people are cutting their own French fries and stuff. So that's what was so exciting to me. Let's talk about how restaurant criticism has changed over the years. Uh, When Phil Vitell had that job, um, he was anonymous. 
credit cards were in other people's names. Uh, you could not really do on-camera appearances. I don't know if he was ever on reset, but <laughs> you know th- there was an anonymity that was there. It's true. Um, but that wasn't the case for how the Tribune evolved its um, its coverage. So, how do you think that that impacted you as a dining reporter? Yeah, that was something that the whole time they were just trying to figure out how can we change with the times. And so towards the end of Phil Vitell's run, he did actually publish his photo um, because he said, you know, like the, the people that care already know what I look like and the people that don't, don't care. And I have to say that's, I rarely got recognized. And if I did, it was at a, a more expensive place that they were, you know, they had passed around or something, but I didn't feel like it changed the how it how the meal went, and if I did, I I mentioned it in the review. I was always very careful that if I like if I noticed that like people would stop and then just stare at me, then that went <laughs> something had happened. There was a review of Diego I did where you know the owner was there just sitting at a table and he was like, hi, Nick. (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, you know, I can't go back. I can't put on a wig and and try again, you know. So I, uh, but that that was indicative of the fact that he was just there all the time. So that was actually a bonus because, you know, when the owner or a chef is actually in the restaurant, that's usually a better thing. And I just want to note in case people are wondering as they're listening, uh, critics are not allowed to take free food that there is That's a budget right. no I I, yeah. I it was anytime someone would bring it I'm like I have to pay you for this like there's no way you can bring me fee- free food um, I did make all of the restaurant recommend um, reservations in a fake name and or I would just show up if I thought I could just show up I would just show up early and get a table and hope that no one noticed and then had to keep changing names all the time but who knows if that worked or not. <laughs> How did you decide which restaurants to cover? Um, it was just, if I, you know, there were some that were so big when they opened, it was like, oh, I should probably go to that one eventually. But usually it was just what was exciting for me. And I don't really, I don't really know how to quantify what that means because sometimes I would be really interested in a specific genre or cuisine and then tailor my coverage to that. So it was it was mostly down to just what I what I wanted to eat and what sounded interesting to me. So I love Mexican food, so I I did tilt the coverage a lot towards that, but I'm very proud of that. I you know, there's so many great Mexican restaurants in Chicago. It's mind-boggling. And more on that later. I okay, definitely yeah. want to <laughs> dig into Mexican food with you. A rave review can boost a business, but a negative review can have the opposite. And that can have a heavy responsibility, especially if it's maybe a small business. Well, I think a lot of small business owners who are restaurants, but even the smaller mom and pop type. Can you talk about that? Yeah, no, you have to be very careful. And if I did take a swing at a place, I made sure that it would, that I covered all of my bases. Uh, I took that very seriously. What does that mean to cover all your bases? I can't say that they don't do something and then turns out that they, that I just went on a random Tuesday and just happened, you know, like if I would show up and the meal was a disaster, I wouldn't write about it immediately. I would go back later. So I never wrote about a place after one visit unless it was 
extremely expensive. So if it was a $400 meal, I only went one time. But that should always be amazing if it's $400. Right. <laughs> so I didn't feel bad about that. Um, but if there were only, I only wrote a few negative reviews. And if I really made sure that my point was accurate. And so I wrote one about a place in the West Loop where I just didn't think the chef was there. And he told me he wasn't there. And then that that's what showed up in the review. Um, some of the, I, I guess the last negative review I did was of some taquerias in the West Loop. And these were just all kind of chain operations that didn't, you know, that you could literally get in a car and 10 minutes away find a better version for half the cost. And those kind of things just make me mad on a like, <laughs> on a money level of like, just this is the money that I have and this is what I can get. And I know things in the West Loop were expensive, but yeah. This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore. In for Sasha Ann Simons, we're discussing what else on the day before Thanksgiving? Food. Here with us is the Chicago Tribune's outgoing, or should I say former food critic, Nick Kendallsberger. Um, you've introduced readers to a lot of culinary gems over the years, and I want to go back to your passion for Mexican cuisine. I think I learned from you about um, the place in Gage Park, Pollo, not Pollo Express. Um, oh, um, El Mesquite. El uh, Mesquite. Pollo? Is yes. Right? Yeah. Mesquite yes. Grill. Yes. Yeah. And... If I'm, if, was this you who wrote this about getting great beef there? Like, despite mm -hmm. that it is, <laughs> that's right. Pollo, go there for beef, and it's the place you we get it by the pound. Yep, and make our own quasi fajitas, and it's the chicken's not bad. The chicken is good. Chicken's but, very good. Um, yeah, but yeah, the the beef. <laughs> it's it's awesome. Yeah, no, and that's a place that's great because they cook everything on uh, over charcoal. And it's mesquite charcoal, actually. And so you walk in and there's this huge uh, grill with just piles of charcoal. And it smells like it as you come in. And so, you know, that flavors the meat and that's what makes it taste the way it does. And then obviously they're they're very good at cooking it. And But yeah, no, the, the arachera is what, what to get there, I think. What else in Mexican cuisine? Well, I mean, literally like next door to that place is Carnitas Ruapan, which is just a gem of a restaurant in Chicago. And we're just so lucky, so, so lucky to have a restaurant this good, <laughs> to have carnitas cooked like they are in Mexico, in the big pots. Um, you know, this is a family that has been doing it for years. You know, the dad came over and now the son's carrying on the tradition. And, uh, you know, that that really can't be beat. And, you know, Birria Zaragoza is another gem that I went there too. Okay. I think based on you. <laughs> goat tacos. These are goat tacos. And this is where like the goat that they make is just, you know, the the attention that goes into it is astonishing. But then also the tortillas are freshly made right in front of you and they're perfect. Um, so yeah. I mean, I don't know. I can talk about Mexican food all day if you need to. It's just it's easy. I wish we could. <laughs> but I want to talk about some other food before we, we let you go. Yeah. Uh, I have appreciated talking to you over the years about whether Popeye's has the best chicken sandwich. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> or um, on Friday, I went to Kamai, the mother-daughter Cambodian restaurant that you talked about a year ago. 
yeah. right here on on Reset. Um, I think that was one of your top restaurants of the of the year. Yeah, absolutely. So was- since we're winding down the year. What are some of your top restaurants in 2023? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I, I have loved Diego, which opened up in the West Loop. It's sort of doing Baja, um, Baja California um, Mexican food. Um, I really loved, on the higher end, um, the place in the Time Out Market, um, if I can think of the name, but uh, but from Stephen Galanders, it's sort of a tasting menu that is surprisingly affordable for what it is, um, but still really nice. Um, then there's the Kyoten next door, which is a sushi restaurant in Logan Square. So if you've heard of Kyoten, this is probably the most expensive restaurant in Chicago, four eighty five a person. Next door, <laughs> they have a far more approachable set sushi option um, that, you know, is in the $120, I think, which isn't exactly cheap, but is a little more approachable. And if you love sushi, it's just, it's so impeccably done. What are some trends that you've seen this year or in the past few years on the Chicago dining scene? You know, people are trying different methods of dining. They're trying QR codes. They're trying all of these things. Uh, I don't think anyone's quite figured out how to do it or ha- nothing has worked out, I guess, as fluidly, I guess, as I thought it might. I really thought after the pandemic that we would be moving to no waiters, all sort of doing it digitally and stuff. And that all of that came back very quickly. Um, I am, you know, it did, it does seem that sort of... Uh, Asian food is is really popular, and that will just never stop. Whether that you know, but that's a huge continent. So, Japan. Um, I, I was glad to see Kumai with the Cambodian food, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm always just surprised. I wish I was better at spotting things early on, but you know, that's not my job anymore. So it's not. And speaking of which, before we let you go, can you tell us what's next on your plate professionally? Yeah, I'm moving over to Molson Coors as a senior communications specialist. So I'm staying sort of in the in the drink and food sort of area, but just really excited to move on to a company that has so many different uh, brands that they're developing, and it's a you know it's a really successful company um, the past couple of years. So well, I hope that you still post food and restaurants on your Instagram. I'll try to do my best. <laughs> That's the Chicago Tribune's former food critic, Nick Kindlesberger. Thanks for joining us, Nick, and wishing you a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you.